Welcome to Fandom Femmes! We are two queer femme nerds of color who use humor and fun to take your favorite convention's diversity panel and turn it into a year-round conversation. I am Noelle. And I am Justine. And welcome! Welcome! <laughs> Why did I sound like Blue's Clues? I was like... <laughs> Hey, Blue's a, Blue's a femme. Blue is a femme. You're totally right. Yes. If Blue can skadoo, then we can too. can too. <laughs> so welcome to our Blue's Clues episode. Surprise. Surprise. Anywho, what are we really talking about today, Justine? Well, today we as two Southeast Asian femmes are going to be talking about one of Disney's latest releases, Raya the, and the Last Dragon. <laughs> so this whole time, Justine is very worried that she was gonna say Raya the Last Airbender, and I almost did. <laughs> but here we are, Raya. And the last dragon. And the last dragon. Let me give you a little bit of a synopsis of what this is about. So it released on Disney Plus not too long ago. And here is the direct synopsis from the little Disney Plus blurb that you see when you click on the movie. So, <clears throat> long ago in the fantasy world of Kumandra, humans and dragons lived together in harmony. But everything changed when the Fire Nation attacks. <laughs> why did they have to say live together in harmony i know and also why they had to say long ago in a distant land i aku shifting master okay take two let's do this okay long ago in the fantasy world of kumandra humans and dragons live together in harmony However, when sinister monsters known as the Droon threaten the land, the dragons sacrifice themselves to save humanity. <laughs> now, now, 500 years later, the same monsters have returned, and it's up to the lone warrior, Raya, to track down the last dragon and stop the Droon for good. Honestly, like, I was so close to being like, Hundred when it says now five hundred years later, I was so close to being like a hundred years past. My brother and I discovered so a new avatar. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the synopsis. <sighs> yeah. All right, Noelle synopsis. Go. <laughs> we start. Brown girl, dad, yeet her into the river. <laughs> the, how ten years later? I don't remember how many years later. Six Grows years up. Later. Huh? Six years later. Six years later. Oh, yeah, they're teenagers. Six years later. Try to find dragon gem pieces. Ah! It, <laughs> conflict. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh, let's pick up one person from each region of the division, and in the end, they each help bring the United States of America back together. <laughs> I love you. Are you alright, baby? Uh, I think I kind of just woke up. It's okay. You know what? <laughs> we out here, and we're here to talk about Raya, Last Dragon. So. Um, I had prior to recording this episode, I had seen Raya before. I rewatched it, but Noelle actually watched it for the first time 
this, this episode, week, this, or, this, this week. week, yeah, like yeah. in preparation for this episode. So, what are some of your initial thoughts, Noelle? Like, what were your some of your initial impressions from watching Raya for the first time? Um, honestly, very like very initial thoughts, especially when she first appeared on screen. I was like, "Whoa, my eyeballs kind of look like that, and so does my nose and my." color of my skin that's cool i like the hair <laughs> that was literally my one of my first thoughts mm-hmm. um i was also like katara question mark mm-hmm. because I of the hairstyle mm-hmm. i was like katara um and then not when the water stuff happened and i was like katara <laughs> okay but also really quick uh everyone this is this whole episode is a spoiler alert so if you haven't watched the movie highly recommend to watch it before you listen to us talk to it talk about it unless you don't want to watch it and just want to listen to us talk about it then cool but just letting you know we're talking about the movie so (laughs) period um but other than that i was in general happy to see like characters that look like me on screen um i thought it was well written in the sense that it it didn't really drag on it kind of it went through it it was concise it went like and um it wasn't too complicated i think and i feel like they really pushed their motif of trust like to the forefront because it was pretty obvious it was like why can't we trust them let's just give them food and then boom can't trust them because humans suck okay but um but other than that i i do have some other thoughts pretty much about like but but is how do I feel about like all all of like Southeast Asia being put in a blender? We'll talk more about that later. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I also thought um, does it pass the Bechdel test? And Justine, would you like to please explain what that is again? Yeah, and so the Bechdel test is a very like very like basic kind of indicator of the qual of you know engage of you know accurate and you know quality representation of women in any type of media so the Bechdel test answers the questions um one is there a woman in the film period two like or is there more than one woman in the film yes do these women, you know, have conversations about like with each other? Are they in scenes together? And that is yes. Ding. And also, um, when they're in these scenes together, are they talking about something that does that has nothing to do with men? Ding. That is yes. Yeah. So, like I said, the Be- the Bechdel test is a very 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 basic gauge of like whether or not there's like women representation in the film at all. And with with Raya having a like like a woman as the essential like protagonist of the show or like of the of the movie, and a lot seeing a lot of the people in leadership, you know, represented by women in this fictional world, you know, the dragon uses she her pronouns, and um, there are a lot of women on the cast in general. You know, it, it it passes that test with flying colors. However, 
we at Fandom Femmes are an intersectional <laughs> podcast. So we not only look at like the base level of representation, but we want to push it further, you know, because these women in the in in this media have intersecting identities. So we are going to impact those intersecting identities today. So, yeah, I mean, I liked the display of like um, like the strength of women in, in the sense that it wasn't like oh, let's compare the strength of this woman to a man. You know, for example, like whenever Raya is in combat or even Namari is in combat with Raya, you know, um, it's kind of just like, uh, I feel like a lot of the times when it comes to like martial arts, they always have to pit a woman against a man to be like, wow, look, she's good at martial arts because she can face a man, you know? Mm. Um, whereas in this case, a lot of the fight scenes are woman to woman. Mm. And just from the fight scene alone, because of the skill that you can literally see from the way it's animated, is like these women are good martial artists because they're good martial artists. Yeah. You know, um, which I really appreciated. Um, the animation for it is amazing. It was also really cool to see Raya use um, uh, Eskrima sticks because I used to do Eskrima as a kid too. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, that's what my Eskrima sticks look like. Um, for those listening, Eskrima is actually a Filipino martial art um, that uses sticks. Um, you can also substitute one of the sticks, sticks in each hand. Um, you can substitute one of the sticks for a dagger, etc., or you only use one stick. Um, but it was a self-defense uh, martial art that was created by farmers um, to basically make it look like they weren't doing anything harmful while the Spaniards were like colonizing them, you know? So it was like a way of like self-defense and so a way to get back um, in power against our colonizers. Wow. So uh, that um, Eskrima is also known. um, Another form of martial art is called Kali, but that's um, I'm forgetting where the origin is from, but um, in Southeast Asia, it, it is like something that's not only, in the Philippines. So um, there are different other cultures that have used sticks as well. So uh, that was cool to see. And and yeah, like Justine said, there are women leaders and antagonists. I guess you could say the Druid is also an antagonist, but in terms of humanoid <laughs> antagonists in this movie, it like would be like Namari or I already forgot Namari's mom's name. So, um, the leader of Fang um, is also, Verana is also a woman. Um, and I thought what also was cool was how Raya, um, I mean, in terms of like coming of age and stuff, um, one of the things for her culture in heart uh, was that she was able to become a guardian of the gem, right? And that was something that like, um, I guess a ceremony that was held by her father figure, her father. And I feel like normally those types of things like, oh, being a guardian of this sacred thing is normally reserved for men um, or like masculine people, whatever. Um, But I don't know, just the fact that it was something that was passed down regardless of gender or regardless of her attributes, like um, just because it was it was merit based, definitely. So I thought that was cool. And that she was also uplifted um, in that sense where it wasn't like a, oh, 
you got it this time. You know, it's like, oh no, you did it. And like, I'm proud of you. Like you are worthy Mm -hmm. of this position. Yeah. And as I was kind of like listening to you talk about like martial arts in, in particular, like, and how in, in like typically in, in fight scenes that you see um, a woman's martial arts prowess is established in her battle with like a man. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because the, the in the opening scene, we see Raya battle her father. Right. Um, and that was the first, like, do you think that, and that was like the, but then beyond that, throughout the movie, a lot of her, you know, fighting and like hand to hand combat is with Namari, who is who is not a man. But do you think in that establishing fight sequence, do you st- because it was against her father? Do you think that's still using like a like that device of like establishing her her prowess as a martial artist with her fighting against a man? Mm, interesting. Um, I feel kind of weird about it because it is like. I mean, at first we're like, oh, whoa, this guy is like an antagonist, right? Because that's our first impression. He has a mask on. Um, We don't know the context of the situation. But I feel like once I found out it was her father, I kind of like, because I understand what it's like to have like a teacher because he's definitely her teacher. Like, but even before I knew that she, he was her father, I was like, oh, he's definitely her teacher. Like he's the one who taught her things. And, um, as someone who has engaged in martial arts, like it, it, it's like a different feeling when the person is like your mentor. I don't know how to explain it. Like, um, like, cause you spar a lot anyway. So it kind of felt like that. It felt like a sparring session. And if anything, like it, they, they set a precedent for themselves, which was like, Oh, you're not going to step set a foot on, on the inner circle where the gem is. Right. Um, and it was like a clever thing, like, oh, she got her toe on it. So technically she made it. But regardless of that toe, she would have still passed this test, like to be like the guardian. And I felt it felt more of it like it was like the chest of the guardian. Also, it was child versus adult. So it didn't really feel like an equal footing type of thing. Like, I don't know, like. I get that there's some like, oh, child geniuses or whatever, genius martial artists and stuff. But I think because it wasn't, there's clearly a difference in years of experience. It's like, I don't want to say like handicap, like there's a handicap, but it, it didn't really feel like, oh, let me measure against this grown ass man, like this 10 year old girl. <laughs> like you can't, exactly measure I guess I don't know how to explain it but like if it were her as like a grown woman versus a grown man it feels different interestingly enough Mm -hmm. so it's like I don't know there's like a lot of other variables like age and also relationship so it's like Mm, weird I can see that what do you think though yeah um I think I think I understand where you're coming from with the whole teacher-student dynamic. Like, because the goal is to, you know, train so you're at your teacher's level so you can surpass them and stuff eventually. Um, And I can see that as, like, you know, planting the seeds for 
like the next generation and that kind of thing or like planting the seeds for the next gen because like he's the current guardian right but he's not gonna live forever so it's important to like train and like pass that on and like have that rite of passage like i I totally see that yeah um yeah i think i also kind of wanted to talk about like speaking of family um you know like trust that like what we were saying like trust and like togetherness is something that is really prominent throughout the movie as a theme but also it's very prominent in southeast asian culture um like in in the notes that you were taking like during the episode like for the episode i was actually having a lot of similar thoughts as i was watching the movie too because you know something throughout uh the movie that is is kind of brought up is uh is food and like hunger so um for example in the at the towards the beginning of the movie when um i'm gonna call them by their actor's name but when um raya's dad essentially uh invites all of the other kind of nations to to heart um Raya's dad's voice by daniel day kim by the way um he when he invites all of them to heart uh, there's there's like a lot of tension and a way that Raya, who's voiced by Kelly Marie Tran, diffuses that tension is by offering food. She said, who's hungry? And that's what brings everybody inside. That's what helps us transition into the next scene um, to do that. Uh, also, like as we progress through the story um, or also like very early on, Raya's father uses food as a way to illustrate togetherness by creating a soup with ingredients from each region. Um, and like, you know, as it comes together, you know, in with when differences come together, you can create something really um, not only like good and like delicious in that context, but also the fact that they use food is like something sustaining, like something that can sustain you and like keep you alive um which is really cool um yeah and like throughout even yeah like even even throughout you know like hunger and like food are like a huge factor not only as a way to as a in a symbolic sense but also and we'll talk about this later more um how there are a lot of disparities between the nations as well and we see raya who's coming from like a very privileged area of heart um and her foil, Namari, who is similar in age, but she's like there's a, there's a scene when they first meet as kids where um like Raya and Namari are talking about their favorite things, and then um she asks uh and then Namari brings up that she hasn't eaten rice in a really long time, and in heart, Raya like where Raya lives, um it's the first time that she's had rice in a really long time. So even from there, you know, you can like they use, they use food and hunger to kind of like illustrate the importance of togetherness, but also illustrate the kind of desperation or drastic measures that someone will go to to sustain themselves if they don't have that community or togetherness. Right. That's really good. Yeah, literally throughout the entire movie, almost every like chapter of the movie is like 
there's some sort of meal or meal sharing. I mean, they, they had a meal on Boone's boat, even the first meal that they tried to have on Boone's boat, the kanji, mm-hmm. um, Raya didn't want to eat it because she had trust issues. Ooh. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. But Sisu was like, this shit good. And then even Boone was like, like if you have issues and he drinks it himself and he's like, ah, good. Right. You know? Yeah. And then even Sisu was like devouring it and was like, this is delicious. Like, Trust is delicious, <laughs> right? And it's just like, um, and then I mean, all five of the people that end up and like being in their party to save the world um, are on Boone's boat, and they share a meal. Um, it's it feels like every time they transition to a next thing, there's like some sort of meal sharing going on, or even like say when they went to Spine. What's it? Spine, where mm-hmm. only one person was left. Yeah, yeah, like. Um, literally, Sisu just want like ran with the kanji pot and just wanted to offer food. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was always like, like oh, let let me offer this or like let me accept this. You know, yeah. yeah. So it's like offering trust, accepting trust. You know, like oh, yeah. that's it. And I love how it was with food because literally that's how it is in, like in a lot of our cultures. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, like um, speaking from like personal experience my my family in general and like a lot of my family members in general i love you isn't something that they say out loud like in words to show affection um but like the instead it's you know dinner's ready or like come eat you know or Um, have you eaten or have you eaten yeah um and 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 that was like a cool little little detail in that because Mm -hmm. i'm sure like me and noelle aren't the only like asian people who can relate to Mm -hmm. food being a sign of love as well and and also like with with food in this in this context as well if if food is symbolic of community and togetherness um just like you can't sustain yourself without food you can't live and thrive without community and togetherness Mm -hmm. like you can't do that alone so i thought that was a really a really cool type thing ah disney i oh, see disney, it, disney. I see it now. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah i thought uh like see like stuff like that in that in the movie where it was like these small details where it's it was kind of like oh it's just a part of the plot like oh it's whatever there are also just like other nuanced details like for example right in the beginning when um raya was entering like the dragon gem cave mm-hmm right you from the music and from the way it has to open etc it seems very like like auspicious you know like very like oh like this seems grand and before and what confirmed for me as someone of like filipino descent or like even just southeast asian descent um what confirmed it for me that it was like like a sacred place was like she took off her shoes before she walked in Mm -hmm. and i was like Oh, yo, that's a sacred place. <laughs> and I mean, e- even in the sense that like, like, you know, us as Southeast Asians, we we also do that before we go into our home because that's a place that we hope to be sacred as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, also cleanliness. <laughs> but yeah, like just like those little, little details, like here and there, like um, 
I know that even when they do like flashbacks of when they're like storytelling about like the history of dragons and stuff, even the way things are illustrated in that sense, there are like certain designs or patterns, like basics, like um, they weren't spiral patterns, but essentially like almost like tribal looking patterns um, that look very similar to like indigenous type of um, like not writing, not like, like language writing, but like drawing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, like there's like cool stuff like that. The colors were really, I mean, I don't know the accuracy of the colors, but um, which is hard to tell because it's a blender. I'm just gonna be calling it a blender. It's a Jamba Deuce um, of, <laughs> of Southeast Asian cultures. But I thought um, what was really cool too is like the different like, regions had like based on their geographical location and what was available, like what resources were available to them um, was very specific to well, it was um, telling to like how they dressed, how their infrastructure looked, how um, I guess even sometimes their fighting style, because that reminds me a lot of the Philippines Mm -hmm. because like literally the Philippines stretches from the North, which is Ilocos, which is where I'm from. And then all the way to the South. So there's like Mindanao and like, and there's like so many different regions and so many different, like it, even though we're the same country, we all, all, all of like our collective culture, like, yeah, we have like the commonalities, but like at the same time, like each region has its own very specific, like, culture even dialect you know which is really cool so it was it was kind of like that kind of like made me feel cool about the blender because it kind of made me feel like hey that's like the philippines you know like like we're all like literally like um i feel like maybe spine kind of reminded me of like ilocos because it's like very farmy very well actually no we don't really have that much them no wait i was there was that bamboo? I'm not remembering. But anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I kind of I, I liked that aspect of having like the different regions, the different um, the different types of agriculture or the lack thereof because of where they're at, you know, and how they have to compensate for that. Or even like that one market. Um, was it? Talon. Talon. Yeah. That one really like reminded me of like like all the pickpocketing and stuff like <laughs> I was like relatable <laughs> um but yeah anyway um <laughs> yeah I think, that's, I think this is a great segue to kind of talk about um the Southeast Asian representation in the film mm-hmm. um, and you know like like you I was um, I think, yeah, I think this is a like a great a great talking point too. But yeah, do you want to talk about the uh, Southeast Asian representation and the extent of that? Because I have a whole lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I thought it was great that you know we have Southeast Asian ish characters on screen, but I also kind of wanted to know like who the cast was. So I looked it up, and I saw a lot of even before reading names. Because you know how on Google, if you just look something up and then it'll just show like their headshots. I'm like, wow, it looks like a lot of East Asians are, are voicing. Like, 
I mean, not to judge a book by its cover, which then I looked at the names <laughs> and I was like, ah, yes. Question mark. So, I mean, clearly there are a lot of actually East Asian uh, actors and actresses that yeah. were cast for these Southeast Asian roles. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this casting choice? Well, let's break it down first to give some some context. So, like a couple of examples of the Southeast Asian actors, like Raya's father is voiced by Daniel Day Kim, who is Korean. Um, the leader of Fang, Verana, is voiced by Sandra Oh, who is Korean. Namari, Raya's foil, who is Princess of Fang, is voiced by Gemma Chan. Tong from Spine is voiced by Benedict Wong. You know, like, and even even in like the the cameos or like the characters with like two lines or so. Um, when in this, there's a scene in in that takes place in Talon where Rai is trying to find the Talon chief, and she meets this guy named Chai. He's voiced by Dumbfounded, and he has like <laughs> he has like two lines, you know. Um, but yeah, like there's a lot of East Asian representation, and I feel. Like in the marketing of this movie as well, it was very like Disney wanted to show that they did their research on Southeast Asia. They wanted to make this like a Southeast Asian princess movie. And they're like, wow, Southeast Asian representation. And honestly, like I'm going to say it right now, it kind of made me a little bit salty that like a bunch of people that we know, like in our community who are Filipino are just like, oh my God, Raya, Southeast Asian representation. It's so beautiful. She looks like me. And then I'm like, cool. Yeah. But like Kelly Marie Tran is one of the only Southeast Asian actors who are in this movie, you know, like skin folk are not necessarily kin folk, you know, like, and the whole, a lot of, I saw a lot of people in my circles, like lauding this movie for being, you know, South, for being representation, represent, representative of Southeast Asian culture, you know, like even in the tiny details, like we were talking about, you know, removing the shoes, even in the kitchen scene at, um, in Raya's like castle or whatever, there was <laughs> um, a wooden spoon and fork on the wall. Oh, which, I missed that. Yeah, which is like something that is super you know like prevalent in a lot of filipino kitchens right mm -hmm. um they had like a willis on the wall too like the broom as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah like like those little details shows that they did their research but in the voices that we hear it's not like that representation isn't there mm -hmm. so my uh, it's cool because like yeah we're showing other other ways like the asian experience can look like other looks other you know aesthetics that are a part of asian culture when we're so often lumped together like as a monolith but aren't you communicating exactly that that asianness mm. is a monolith when you cast a southeast asian movie with predominantly east asian actors there's a lot of filipino influences in this movie as like noelle shared um and originally cassie Steele, who is a biracial Filipino, like, Canadian actress, um, like, was supposed to be Raya's voice. Mm -hmm. But it was revealed later that it was recast as Kelly Marie Tran. And even now, there's not really a clear, like, explanation as to why. 
a lot of the articles that I've seen was like the official statement was like, oh, Raya's character decided to go in a different direction. So we had to recast. But like, what does that mean? You know, and when you take Cassie Steele out of the equation, there are no Filipinos in this movie. Mm-hmm. At all. And yep. yeah. Yeah. Right. And I feel like, I mean, I can't really attest to like the other Southeast Asian cultures because I only know like, you know, the surface level of what the cultures are like. But like, like as a Filipino, and I'm like, like you said, like there's just so many Filipino things. Like, <laughs> like, and I'm like, there was no Filipino person in this movie. Like, come on. Come on. Seriously. Come on. You're going to have a Malisa on the yeah. wall. And you're not going to have a Filipino person talking. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like in terms of representation, like, yes, cool. We see them on the screen because they're drawn characters. It's animated. Right. And I feel like people don't really remember that. Like, like, say if it were Mulan, like the live action, people are going to be concerned if people weren't Chinese on screen right playing by played by chinese uh, chinese actors and actresses because their actual physical body is on screen but because this is an animation does that make that an excuse that like like this is just because they're drawn brown doesn't mean they're cast by like they cast brown people so is that really representation like yeah like because it's voice acting is still like you're still representing like that character i don't know how to explain it but you know where i'm coming from just saying yeah and like honestly i've heard i've i've been this i've been the the debbie downer like the salty person in like (laughs) conversations and i've heard so many times like justine like it's a movie what's the big deal or like Justine why like why don't you just be grateful and then I'm like like it's a step it's a step in the right direction and I'm just like cool yeah it's a step but Disney is a billion dollar company that can make bigger steps like right what do they do they don't take a big stride they take a teeny tiny step in in that direction when they literally have the money and the clout to make whatever decision that they want we all right. know this, you know what I mean? And I'm tired of just picking up the scraps and getting right. – Yeah. I, I, the crumbs. The We're crumbs. tired of the, the fucking crumbs. crumbs. Exactly. That's also, enough. Yeah. I, and Do I also better. want to, to mention as well, like, like – And I, I just – Not even to like just, – Just to make sure that this exists like on our episode and everything too. Like with – Especially with Southeast Asian communities – um, you know, I, I like studied Asian American studies. Like I do a lot of the organizing work that I've done in the past, like revolves around the Asian community. And what's harmful about viewing the Asian experience as a monolith is that is erasure of different serious issues that are impacted different parts of the community. Like a lot of the times, you know, we see a lot of East Asian folk, like East Asian and also like Filipino people you know, people who already kind of have that on-screen representation fighting for more representation, which is important, you know. But a lot of the underrepresented Asian communities, specifically Southeast Asian communities, Vietnamese, Hmong, um, Cambodian, like, 
like Lao communities are facing things like deportation and like high school retention, you know, like going to college, like a lot of really, really serious poverty, a lot of really, really serious issues. But all we see, all the all the attention has historically gone to the people saying representation, representation, representation. Um, so I think it's also important to make note that like a lot of Asian communities have more serious things going on for them. And if we continue to view the Asian community as a monolith, then those issues and experiences are going to be overlooked like even longer. And and come on, like you can't even tell me something like, oh, well, maybe Gemma Chan was just better for the role. Maybe she auditioned better. And like I've even seen I've even seen articles that are like, oh, well, the the pool of Asian roles in Hollywood is scarce already. So like, you know, why? So it, it makes sense why they would want to like have these roles and why they wouldn't turn them down. And then I'm just like, but that experience is entirely different from your own. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's Asian, but that that rhetoric also perpetuates this this idea that we're a monolith, you know, like, oh, because there's so few Asian roles in Hollywood, even though this is this is a an Asian role that I'm not playing from my experience, I should grab it because it's an Asian role. You're just playing into the monolith, you know. Mm-hmm. You're you're like you're literally letting I mean, essentially the the whole monolith and it's just like playing into white supremacy's hands. And it's like you're trying to because it's an Asian role, you're trying to play out of white supremacy's hands. But because you're grabbing it and you're not that's not exactly like your experience, like you said, you are playing into white supremacy's hands. <laughs> you're literally like you you're trying to make a statement, but you're like still trying to play it safe you know and i want to challenge that a little bit also because you know like should it be should should part of the solution be like having people turn down roles that are meant for historically underrepresented communities you know like that's a part of it as well but i think what a lot of people forget because they, they'll put the onus all on like the actors right like oh the actor should have turned down the role or anything like that but kind of what you were saying earlier about like playing into white supremacy we also need to call out the bigger institution that we get like because you know going back to the conversation of you know there's a very scarce amount of asian roles and so everybody all the asian actors in hollywood are gunning for the same roles like a small lens would point put the onus on the actors to turn down the roles that aren't from their community. But the bigger thing that we should call attention to is why are there so little Asian roles in Hollywood in the first place? Period. Yeah. Like, why, why has this been institutionalized? Because mm-hmm. scarcity was invented. Like, mm-hmm. scar- like, the scarcity of the roles is not because there's a lack of writers. It's not right. because there's a lack of, like, actors. Mm-hmm. It's because the opportunities, like, because the system puts the opportunities in the hands of the wrong people. Right. Know? Literally what it is, I talk about this all the time as a film major. <laughs> uh-huh. um, <laughs> basically, the stories that are, ba- like, what's it called? Greenlit 
to hit the theaters are basically only the stories that people know for sure will make them money. Mm. And unfortunately, that's why we're in this weird like um, age of like post postmodernism where like um, we're retelling stories that have already been retold because why it makes money for sure. They know for sure it's going to make them money. Like, uh, and that's why when it comes to like, say like Disney and stuff and like coming out with, Oh, Southeast Asian, that's why we're still getting crumbs because they still want to make sure they make enough money because they want it to be as general so that the white kids will still like it too. Yeah. You know? So like, like that's, that's the whole thing is that like, um, that's why movies are still are now either like made from books. They're a reboot or a remake or they're like something from a video game. They're things with existing fan bases. Right. So any type of stories that are going to break the mold, they're not going to get greenlit. So literally a, a big issue is not only like Asian representation or even just people of color um, in actors and actresses, but it's also like writers, producers. We need more executive producers um, that are going to green light and fund like, okay, all of these literally like, like rich Asians. <laughs> okay. Crazy. Cra- crazy rich Asians. I, if you want more stories like yours or that's hard to say because I'm not a rich agent so I don't know what the mindset is like <laughs> but if, if people really truly wanted more stories like yours then go fund a director that and and a producer that will make the stories you want that's all it is people just need funding that's that's literally this Hollywood is capitalism <laughs> Like actors are a commodity. People are commodities now. So like, like literally all we need, like, I'm not saying this is all we need, but like in terms of like, if people, if the rich <laughs> Asians are saying they want the same thing as us, then fund an Asian director, you know, yeah. or like, like literally like in, like that's a bigger picture thing. And a lot of people think that like, oh, you know, the way to fix representation, um, I mean, a big thing, yeah, is is in the writer's room. But will that script be greenlit? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Will that script be greenlit? Will the executive producer be like, "Mm, can we change this character? You know why they can say the writer will say yes, because that's the only way it'll get greenlit so they can get paid. Mm -hmm. Period. When it gets and like if it not only does it get greenlit, like you know, is a network gonna pick it up? Right. Like you know, is a is a production company like gonna pick it up? I don't know. Right. Like who's gonna publish it? Who's exactly. gonna distribute like, it? Exactly. Distribution. Period. Like, hello. Mm-hmm. So I feel like yeah, representation is important in casting, but also like, like unless we have an ally out there that just really wants. POC stories to be told. <laughs> White people. White people. Where you at? Where, my, where, you, where the good white people? White people. Yeah. Hello. Okay. But yeah. Anyway, that went. But also, <laughs> this note you have written 
Wait, is it? It's not Gemma Tran. Wait, Talia Tran. Yeah, Talia Tran is a um a child actress. She is um she's, oh, a, she's a child. Actress. Yeah, she's so basically like of the main ensemble cast. We have Kelly Marie Kelly Marie Tran who voices Raya. We have Isaac Wang who voices Boone. He's also a child actor. Um, Isaac Wang is Chinese and Lao. So we have Southeast Asian representation there. And we and the third part of the ensemble cast is Talia Tran, who is uh, Vietnamese, and she voices Noi, who is a baby. And like <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the marketing that I, I saw, like, like organizations like CAPE, which is the um like I think it's coalition of Asian Pacific Islanders in, in entertainment. So there's that organization. There's like a bunch of other like Asian American media orgs that were like all the all the posters and the and stuff like mm. all the infographics. They were just like, yeah, Kelly Marie Tran, Isaac Wang, and Talia Tran, yeah, yeah, and like um, three members, right? And then I got really excited, but like when I watched the movie, like. <laughs> Isaac Wang like did have like significant lines and everything. He was such a lovable character. I love yeah. Boone. He's hilarious. Yeah, I love Boone. Yeah, and then we have Talia Tran, who's Noi. And the other members of the ensemble are Gemma Chan, who is Namari, and Tong, who was voiced by Benedict Wong. Um Talia Tran voices a baby. So throughout the movie, she's like gurgling and gurgling and not using words and i'm just like cool that's great like you know i i think it's amazing that you know talia tran at this like young age like has a role in a feature film that's huge i am not diminishing her accomplishment at all because that's amazing though i i i have such a negative response to this and i i say that she voiced a baby with such disdain because she's one of like three asian uh southeast asian voice actors in the in the main character cast right it and in a movie that you know pats itself on the back for doing such extensive research on Southeast mm. asia you know mm-hmm. and like yeah the title role goes to, like a southeast asian person but everyone else around her is East Asian and the other two like Southeast Asian people that you put in like, don't have as many lines and one of them right. is a freaking baby come on one of them is a baby one of them is literally like <laughs> oh my god yeah I didn't even I, I until he, I saw your note I didn't even know that um, she was one of the only Southeast Asian cast <laughs> it was the baby <laughs> I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know that like, from, I mean, how are you supposed, okay. I'm not saying that you would know that someone is South of Southeast Asian descent just from their voice, but like, it's a baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's a baby. Yeah. <laughs> there are no words. Yeah. And I, and I think like, uh, this is, and, and I keep going back to this. It's like, it wouldn't be a problem if she wasn't the only one. If or if she wasn't one of the only ones being represented. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, also, that's if you think about it, it's one adult 
Southeast Asian actress and then two children, which is like, I mean, it's still good, but it's like, I'm sure there are other adult Southeast Asian actresses and actors. Yeah. Doubt. Like, y'all ever heard of Filipino dramas? Like, period. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Mm, excuse me what's who's what's the casting director's name let me write them a letter <laughs> uh, um we've already kind of talked about this though uh in terms of the blenderizing the jamba juicing um you called it the the monolith essentially is is like like how i've compared it to moana where like um there were also criticisms of moana i mean there were praises and criticisms the same way raya is or basically it's like you know um, Disney puts these seemingly similar cultures into a blender. They go burr and then <laughs> and then they create like this generalized Pacific Islander ethnicity. And they're like, yeah, this is we did research and it's great. Um, so. <laughs> and in that sense, I know that a lot of the criticisms were like, OK, well, this is Tongan and then this is Samoan but like those are very different cultures you know like mm-hmm. like if you're gonna make it generic are, are you gonna truly make it generic or are you gonna stick to what's really culturally like mm-hmm. like so that's what that's, that's what's confusing because it's like oh we're trying to make a generic ethnicity but you're gonna use specific things from specific cultures um mm-hmm. and use it but like but then is that is that generalized anymore? Is that still your blender? Like, so is it more like you're picking and choosing what comes like, or is it like, cause like how, Oh, how is Disney going to show off their research if they don't have specific things for these people to relate to? Right. Mm. But they're like, Oh, but we're trying to take the easy way out and make it general. So it's not an actual race. We're not going to say they're actually Samoan or thingy. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like I've said before, like earlier um, with you is like, for example, Mulan, though it is indeed like Chinese folklore, they straight up say, this is the nation of China. Mm-hmm. This is China, period. You know, so apparently in the past, they had no problem sticking to one <laughs> nation. And I feel like if it were, say, like a a tie if if raya was a tie like if they were like this is thailand or like not exactly thailand but like they were like we're basing this off of thai you know like stuff i wouldn't be mad i'd still be like this is cool you know like but the fact that there's not i guess you know the audience isn't as broad because it's just the small nation of thailand Right. So it's just like, how, how do you feel about the Jamba Juice, about the blender? Sorry, I just like calling it the Jamba Juice. Okay, I mean, like we talked about food being like a central, right. like, central to the plot. So, <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, I, I really echo that, you know, um, what, you know, is is lumping all these cultures together to create, yes, like a fictional, like a fictionalized um, mm-hmm. story for this movie how much of that is watering down the culture, you know, mm. for public consumption. Right. I can definitely see where that comes from. Um, and like, as I was kind of developing my own, my own feelings like about it too, mm-hmm. I actually like came across an article in time, like time magazine that was talking about this. So um, I, I first want to start before I dive into this article by saying that um, the screenwriters were Queen Nguyen, who is a Vietnamese American playwright. Um, I've seen like 
one of his uh, I've seen one of his plays um which is called Poor Yellow Rednecks and in a couple of his in, in a couple of his stage works he talks a lot about like the Vietnamese immigrant experience yeah. and like yeah. the refugee experience he also has a play called She Kills Monsters which is like Dungeons and Dragons inspired so it's literally oh. about like you know, fantasy and dragons and stuff. So I thought that was really cool that he was brought on for um, Raya and the Last Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have that connection to Queen Wen's work. So in addition to Queen Wen, uh, we also have Adele Lim, who was the, who also wrote the screenplay, and she's Malaysian. So we have different Southeast Asian voices collaborating on this project. And I read an article in Time magazine who had that had kind of perspectives for both of them when they were addressing why they chose to incorporate like all different tastes of Southeast Asian culture like into building the world of Kumandra. And I'll just read the quote. So this is from Kui Win. He says, the easy thing we could have done is this land in Kumandra was Thailand, this was Vietnam, this one's Malaysia, but then it gets into a really ugly place of going, oh, well, this country's bad and this one's good and our hero's from here. Mm. Yeah. So instead, inspirations from specific countries were infused across the setting. And then Adele Lim says, for the visual development, there was a lot of talk about finding certain things that wove through a lot of the countries in Southeast Asia. It's exciting when there's a shared trait. So... Mm-hmm. So it sounds like from the screenwriter's point of view, they or from they wanted to be intentional about that, you know, as to not because, you know, mm. saying that this person's from Thailand, this person's from this would kind of cause like would would unintentionally villainize like certain the antagonists from mm. the and 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 I see I, I see that. And I think it was a really good step that they had people who are from Southeast Asian descent to kind of talk about this mm-hmm. and to be a part of like the writing development. And I, I liked what Adele Lim said about for the visual development, how rather than putting everything in a melting pot, she was intentional about finding commonalities like with the across the the countries of Southeast Asia to incorporate into the setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that brings togetherness. Yeah, <laughs> like they said, like it's exciting when there's a shared trait. I like that. I like I like that explanation, especially the whole villainizing thing. Because we, I mean, that's exactly what we don't want. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to like these countries, you know. Yeah, I mean, I remember with Mulan. I remember as a kid because I'm very impressionable and I don't really know much, right? As a kid, I was like, Mongolians are bad because <laughs> of Mulan, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> I remember also this very specific thing. I remember, like, I think it was after Mulan. I watched Mulan, of course. It had to be. And my mom was like, oh, do you want Mongolian beef? And I was like, Mongolian? The ones that tried to kill Mulan? <laughs> I don't want to eat Sean Yu's food. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's a, I like that, actually. I just feel like in terms of like... Uh, I, I really it's weird because I believe in both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Is I that keep, weird? I, no, it's not. And I keep... I, I think... 
why it feels like a watered down version of of the because because I honestly felt it too. Like I it felt like a, a like a mishmash of all of what people perceive Southeast Asia to be. And I think why it's so contentious and like why it feels like our culture is being watered down is because this is one of the only re- mainstream representations that we have of this culture. And it's a watered down version, you know, like I totally wish we could have like a like a mainstream movie about a Filipino family, like um, and multiple at that, you know, because like, yeah, we want to see what life is like in the Philippines now. But like, what does the Filipino American experience look like? What does the um, pre-colonial Filipino experience look like? You know, but right now we don't have that representation. And right. we've waited a long time for it. And like, yeah, there's films out there, but how accessible are they? How mm. crossed over into mainstream popularity like a Disney movie? No. Right. Like Exactly. Speaking of that, that's like literally what my next note was basically about is that like, <clears throat> like you said, like, oh, a normal family, like an actual like look into a life you know like um i get it that like you know disney's all about magic and like um creatures or whatever but i've seen disney movies where it's kind of like oh the day in the life of uh, this kind of person maybe there's something quirky about them you know but like or even in shows you know but why is it that every time like say um for in, in this case like southeast asian like I'm kind of like tired of seeing us tied to like this exoticism where like, oh, we have to be tied in with some kind of exotic creature or like, like that has to be a part of the story in order for it to make it work. You know, Mm -hmm. like I also just as a Southeast Asian woman, I'm tired of being like exoticized, you know, like just being like, oh, you're so exotic. Like, (laughs) I don't even know where I'm going with this but basically like I don't know I just would like to see no magical creatures (laughs) I mean it would be interesting if it was like oh some kind of quirky instance maybe like something like oh honey I shrunk the kids you know but with a Filipino family like imagine that (laughs) but you know but it's like why do we always have to be paired with like mystical beings or like even on Moana like you know it was whole whole ass magical beings yeah demigods yeah and also like yes Disney panders to children it's for it's for kids and you know like magic and fantasy are part of like why we love Disney but you know like if we take the the traditional like mold of a Disney channel show or like what makes a CW show or whatever just like put Filipino people in it or just just take your template and just like add people who are not white in in your template and then yeah. they're just a character that just so happens to be southeast asian or like right. asian period but now they're in your mold so so works you know mhm yeah yeah and i think yeah speaking of like exoticism and kind of um the things that we wish that we saw in Raya. I kind of want to talk about something else. Something that I wish was more prominent in Raya. I'm going to say it right now. 
Raya's gay. <laughs> the whole thing was gay. Like the minute Raya and Namari like locked eyes, eyes. Like, oh, they're totally queer. <gasps> they're totally queer. Yeah, I wasn't the only one. Did you get those vibes too? I got the vibes. I got the vibes. Especially I mean, wasn't she even rocking the undercut as a kid? Yeah. 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 And it wasn't the whole what was cool too, I mean, I probably maybe it was more of like an ethnic costuming thing, but like I liked how like they weren't really wearing dresses as princesses. You know, they're wearing like pants. Pants. And I'm like, you wear them pants. (laughs) So good. Oh my god. I know. It looks great, but yeah, what really got me in your notes, Justine, was Princess Undercut, bro. Ryan calls her that. She's like, yeah, bring it on, Princess Undercut. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, Princess Undercut. Yo, I would love, like, say, if I were a person with an undercut, for someone to call me Princess Undercut. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. And, ugh. And, like, Kelly Marie Tran has since said, oh, yeah, Raya's totally gay. I'm like, cool, Kelly Marie Tran. Thank you for saying that. However, Disney, the billion-dollar company, like, you literally have the power to make Raya whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And you queer-coded her. And Kelly Marie Tran says that she's gay, but where's the... Where is it? On the screen! Where is it? You did the same shit with, like, um, Last Skywalker, or, like, yeah, The Last Skywalker, um, like, the last Star Wars movie, how, like, mm-hmm. at the end of the, the the battle, like, all the resistance is coming home, there's a gay kiss, one. There's a gay kiss. At the very end, that, that's the end of the movie, too. The very end of Beauty and the Beast, like, LeFou is dancing with the man. Oh my god. Oh now, my god. Now we're gonna apparently like it's it, it gave me the same energy of how everyone's saying that like Elsa from Frozen is gay and how her girlfriend is like Honey Marin the in um in Frozen 2 and apparently that's supposed to be super evident but no they're just literally running in the field together there's no romance. Right. There's no like kiss or like hand holding or saying like, say yeah, exactly. Like, like say, for example, in Frozen, heterosexually, like, Hans and Anna have a whole ass song about love. Mm-hmm. So there's no, like, you can't say, like, it's evident. Like, where's their song? Yeah. <laughs> Do they get a song about love? Yeah. And before, I mean, like, okay, knowing our listeners, our listeners probably wouldn't say stuff like this. But if you, if you listening at home have heard someone say something like this to you you could just tell them this like as i've heard a bunch of people be like oh well if you're talking about raya and namari as kids like why are you projecting queerness like onto onto children you know they're just kids or whatever whatever they're just best friends i'm just like yo i can't even remember like it's and help me out with this too, but how many times have we seen, even in real life too, have we seen like a guy and a girl like as babies been like, and then call them like, oh yeah, they're going to be a couple growing up or, oh, they totally like each other. That's so cute. And they're kids. So it's only weird when they're gay. Yeah. No, that's literally what's happened to like, like one of my best friends and my cousin, like, cause they 
they grew up like we all just grew up together like oh my god they're gonna be such a cute couple they're seven yeah they're seven chill <laughs> but but yeah exactly like you said like oh so it's weird so what if it was i grew i grew up next to like my best friend and well really funny come to find out we're both gay but like <laughs> but no one shipped us we slept in the same bed <laughs> But yeah, exactly like you said, like, if if it was heterosexual, like, if Namari, if, like, her foil, if Raya's foil was a man, people would be, like, eating that shit up. Mm-hmm. Because then, because then, they're the childhood best friends. Yeah. You know? Ch- the childhood best friends turned, turned nemes- nemeses. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then the fight scenes would be, like, oh, my God, that's hot, like. So, what if it was Namari? Exactly. Still hot to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. No, there was. Gosh, like that movie was so was so queer. I I was just, <laughs> I was just all over it, and like I was I was thinking it because I, I I originally watched it with my family, and <laughs> literally when they were like all together. Oh, at the very end when they're trying to put the gem together and then Namari um, goes up to Raya. Oh, actually, no. After the resolution, after the gem gets fixed and then um, Raya unfreezes, Namari unfreezes and then they, like, squeeze each other's hands and stuff. I was literally yelling, like, kiss! Kiss! Like, the whole movie. The whole movie. And whenever their, like, faces got really, really close, like, when they were battling or whatever, I was just like, kiss! Just kiss, please. Yeah. I know. I was shipping it. For real. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. I was. I was kind of paranoid. I'm just like, maybe. Am I projecting? Probably. It's place. It's because like it's maybe it's like Zutara all over again. Like part of the reason why I shifted so hard was because I was living vicariously through Katara as like another brown woman on screen. I just really wanted to be with Prince Zuko. So like our relationship really together. Like maybe I'm projecting. You know, because I look like Raya and like Namari is very like powerful and and amazing. But then I took to like I'm a part of a bunch of queer Asian Facebook groups. Literally everyone was just like, "Did anyone get gay vibes from Raya the Last Dragon?" And I'm just like, "Thank God I'm not the only one." <laughs> yeah, no, for real, felt that. Yeah, and like I think I kind of also want to talk about segueing into or so with Raya and Amari's relationship i think this is a good kind of jumping off point to mm-hmm. talk about something else i wanted to to discuss and it's about like the portrayal of privilege in raya you know we talked about food representing you know togetherness and a means to bring people together but also there's there's this idea of like hunger that goes on throughout um like hunger and like want that's going on throughout the series like if we look at the drone which is this like which is the villain, like this mm-hmm. disembodied, like villain spirit type thing. It, 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 it like comes about when people are experiencing greed or like a desire for somebody else's possessions mm-hmm. and they feed off of that. That's what sustains and satisfies them. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very beginning of the movie, we, when we meet Raya's dad, he was all like, Oh, well, I really want Kumandra to happen. I want our nations to like come together and be as one. And one of the, one of the um, other nations was like, well, that's really easy for you to say because Heart has the the gem, but it, it also has a lot of resources. And in 
like right in Namari's initial meeting, Namari mentions that like being in Raya's like house is the first time in a while she's had rice because people in Fang, like even though it looks very prosperous and thriving on the outside, the people are really struggling, you know? And, and as I was watching it, it really makes sense that, you know, all these people were kind of grabbing for the gem um, and wanting to sustain their own people because we had the haves in heart and the have-nots, which was everywhere else that wasn't heart. So I kind of wanted to to ask, like, so for me, it was very understandable why they took the gem for themselves, why they wanted to grasp at the opportunity, why Namari, quote unquote, betrayed Raya at the very beginning to try to grab the gem. It made sense because her people were struggling, you know, but what I wanted to ask is like, you know, with the way the movie played out, do you think the have nots were were villainized? In this sense, mm. I feel like initially um, that they were, even though like it was very clear that you know like I mean at least for us as adults we understand, mm-hmm. but obviously this is also aimed towards children, so it's it's just very easy for them to point fingers and be like they're the reason the gem broke, they're the reason the June came back, you know, um, therefore they're villainized because they mess everything up. Mm-hmm. The world's messed up because of them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to see it that way. But I feel like because of, like, say, Namari's, um, uh, like, reconciliation with, like, Raya or, like, even just, like, her uh, – what is that called? Redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she was kind of representative of the have-nots at that point. So at least they gave the have-nots like a redemption in mm-hmm. terms of that thing. But in the in terms of like the bigger picture, they're in real society. Like once again, like yeah, Kumandra or like togetherness unity is very idealized um, compared to those that actually are like the have-nots. Like, that don't have all of the privilege, all of the wealth, all of the generational, you know, wealth, etc., prosperity. Um, so, it, it it's interesting that you bring this up because it's like I grew up a have not, you know. So it's like it's kind of like it kind of makes me feel sad that you know, like, oh, we're villainized because we're just trying to do the best we can for our family you know mm-hmm. um because that is innately it wasn't like everyone wanted they made it even clear in terms of like except for when people would say they deserved it but when they said they needed it like in order to prosper because even the dad said they think that the gem is the reason why we prosper you know which was him kind of inferring that that's not the, exactly the reason why, but that could also like even we don't know if for sure if that's why they prosper because there's no evidence that the gem is what gives them money, right, or what gives yeah. them the means to have a prosperous society. Um, though it seems like again, like you said, food is like such a huge thing that because of water that ties into agriculture 
And like, that means they have more, they can have more food resources, right? And so once again, the hunger um, plays into this. So even then the dad maybe doesn't even know that they have privilege or doesn't even believe that they have privilege, right? And so, um, I don't know. I just think it's, uh, I feel like it's not very clear. Like I said, um, they're clearly painted as villains to, like in the beginning to children, at least. I mean, like for us, I feel like, because they were saying keywords like, we need it. You know, like, like you have it all to yourself. Like our people are starving. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, once again, at least there was a redemption where it was like they're not exactly villainous. Like, because they said Namari was like they they want like even Sisu believed in Namari and said like like she wants the world to come back too. Like yeah. regardless of who started it, you know, like. She wants to be a part of the solution, you know? Yeah. And and same thing with that scene as well. Raya, uh, or w- after that scene, when Raya and Namari kind of confront each other, like, Namari says that she's as much to blame as what ha- to what happened to Sisu as she right. is, you know? Um, how, you know, good and evil aren't always black and white Mm -hmm. you know it's not always like super clean cut and everything like that and i think what would have really driven it home for me um like if if the have-nots weren't villainized what would have driven it home for me was an epilogue scene or like an epilogue sequence where um kind of like how at the end of moana um you see them becoming voyagers again and like mm. out on the ocean and Moana's leading the way, things like that. Like a scene where we see what happens, what Kumandra looks like, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is um, Hart the leader or is there like a council of leaders from represent, from who represent like each nation that are come together, you know, does Hart know that they are the haves and do they distribute the wealth across the mm-hmm. nation? Mm-hmm. You know, or um, what does Kumandra like? Yeah, like what does Kumandra like even look like? So I would have really liked that that epilogue scene if we could have seen something where, um, you know, we see yeah we we see like Nomari and Raya being a part of this this charge that like distributes wealth throughout the like throughout all of Kumandra, you mm-hmm. know. Um, things like that would have really like driven it home for me because like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, like like the whole i the idealism, right? So, mm-hmm. like, oh yay! Like at the end of the movie, like oh yay, we're all here. Let's share a meal. Great, we're Kumandra, but like emotionally are we just kumandra emotionally (laughs) what are we what like what are we really like (laughs) you know like it's like everyone like you said was like like okay so i'm not stoned anymore and (laughs) uh what are we (laughs) yeah yeah because like i think where the movie left is like okay welcome to kumandra everyone's together and we're all gonna like have a meal together and like break bread together but and then what if you leave it yeah if you leave it there it's very much like 
oh, Namari had a change of heart. And, or, like, Raya realized that, like, she was wrong, too, and stuff. But, like, what are you going to do about it, you know? Um, And even, like, I also want to kind of call attention to, like, at the very beginning, when Raya is giving us this exposition of all these nations, right? She highlights the the kind of shitty parts of all the nation she she says like oh um like spine is home to some of the like the most rugged like and fierce like huge warriors tail is full of, or not, not tail talon is full of thieves and pickpocketers you don't say anything good about yeah or it's like so what's the negative some- thing about heart yeah like it, it heart is, so- is full of privilege yeah <laughs> exactly yeah like she she's she doesn't highlight she only highlights the negative things in the mm-hmm. initial exposition mm-hmm. of the um of each things and like even as we navigate through each of like the the lands like on raya's quest like as we follow her we see thieves. We see, like, you know, a lot of obstacles in, in the way of her quest. So it's very easy to, like, antagonize the have-nots in these situations, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, put it, like, keeping the gem for themselves is, like, you know, preventing justice or whatever. But, like, there's a moment where the leader of Fang is talking to Namari and says that, like, you know, if they get the gem together, then everyone's going to come for us because everyone blames Fang for what happened. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it was just she wasn't. It wasn't even for a greedy or selfish reason. She was just looking out for her own. You know. Right. Yeah. Ugh, but yeah, <sighs> let's let's yeah. But like we've we've definitely discussed a lot. <laughs> and oh my god, I I can already hear. You know, because I, I I was very passionately talking about this stuff with my family too, and I just hear you know like, but Justine, calm down, it's a kids movie, but and we we definitely unpacked like, a lot <laughs> about it, but you know what, we're kids at heart, so yeah, and it's our podcast, we can talk about whatever we want. Period. Um, so yeah, like let's kind of round it off. Like all in all, what are your thoughts about you know is Raya the Last Dragon like a good example? Of like representation we want to continue to see um i feel like like we said it's it's a step mm-hmm. it's a step is it, uh, it i wouldn't say it's all-encompassing good but it's a step yeah a positive step <laughs> yeah right and just because the step it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like just because it's a step um on one hand we acknowledge that like a small like a step forward is a step forward no matter how small you know right. but that doesn't mean we should just shut up and be grateful for what we were getting mm-hmm. yeah know? we ain't shutting up yeah <laughs> um it's also open to continue to like have criticism mm. for these things you know like and hopefully this won't this is one of the first but not the only mainstream kids film that represents southeast asian culture mm-hmm. yeah period cool well, yeah thank you thank you for being here at our via the last airbender extravaganza ah! <laughs> 
So is it about that time, Justine? It's about that time. Um, I can I suggest like a different way we're gonna do it. <laughs> okay. So you know how there's seven goods before we say get wrecked. Yeah. So what if we did back and forth? Like I did guh, 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 guh. And then we'll just count it out. And then together yeah. we'll say get wrecked. Get wrecked. Okay, okay, okay. okay, let's okay. See if that works. Okay, okay, okay. Do you want to start? Okay. Yes. So now it is time for guh. Get right. <laughs> you know, Amazing. close. Close. Yeah. You I, know what? We're just going to keep trying different techniques. Yeah. The techniques, I, I like the, the, we're moving forward, you know? <laughs> Spicing it up a little bit. But yeah, so um, I want to start Get Wrecked this week. So Go for it. Um, I'm going to recommend a novel, a YA novel that I um, started reading not too long ago. It is called Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Rebuy. Um, we talked a lot about Southeast Asian representation and the lack of Filipino representation in Raya. So if you really want to get that fixed, if you want, if you like mystery, if you like, you know, coming of age stories, um, told from the point of view of a biracial Filipino American author, please check out Patriot Saints of Nothing. Um, basically, it centers the story of this boy named Jay, who is half Filipino, half white, and he's from Michigan. Um, his He finds out that his cousin uh, from the Philippines uh, died, and mm-hmm. they really but they're expecting foul play and he suspects that his family over there isn't being truthful about what actually happened to him. Um, and this whole story kind of takes place under like Duterte's law, under like martial law. So mm. around this time in the Philippines and, and like it's still currently happening, there's a lot of talk about um, like people who are like being silenced for dissenting against um against the president um a lot of people are being taken away uh or um or silenced under the guise of you know like an anti-drug campaign you know you can't trust police you can't trust politicians so like what's really happening and Mm. like what's really going on so really love that um so yeah definitely check it out awesome thank you uh i Realized that you already recommended this before, so I'm not going to recommend it, but I just want to let you know that I finished WandaVision, and <gasps> it was absolutely amazing. So much appreciation and love. We, mm-hmm. I really, like, just burned through that. <laughs> um, I am going to recommend another game. It is called It Takes Two, uh, and it's actually a really, really fun co- co-op game with – uh, two players and what's really cool in terms of how they made it is that only one person has to own the game and someone just has to buy a friend pass and it's free and so like you and one other person can always just play the game like even if the other person doesn't own it so that's cool so if you ever want to play with me yeah <laughs> it's free because i have it so uh but yeah it's called it takes two essentially the story is about um, a husband and wife, and they have a child, one one kid, and um, the kid made dolls of the mom and dad. Um, and the mom and dad just break it to her that they're having a divorce. They're going to get a divorce. And so 
The kid goes to her room, cries over her dolls, and is like, I want them to be friends again. Mom and dad wake up as the dolls, and guess what? You have to find your way back into your body somehow. Bro. And it's a bunch of puzzles and like things like like you really need to cooperate in order for this to work. And it's really cool because there are different chapters. Um, I played it with my partner um, so uh, with Julian. So it was like, uh, hmm, hectic, <laughs> but really funny. And one, the graphics are good. The the It's actually pretty funny as well. And the gaming mechanics, it literally takes you through so many different types of gaming experiences. Like there's literally... One, one time I was in, like, a fighting game with a squirrel. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's another time where we were in a magic castle that was built out of the kids' toys. And, like, we ended up having magical powers. And so it was kind of like a dungeon shoot 'em up Like, in terms of, like, different genres of games. So, like, and then there's, like, this other time where, like, um, you end up, it's like a sh- like like you're like a sh- it's like a shooting game or like you have to like shoot things down, but literally it's just a platformer and you just go around. Sometimes you have gadgets in the different worlds and then like it's it's just really interesting um, and it's really fun and and well thought out. So it's called It Takes Two. It is forty dollars on Steam. If you would like to just play it with me, it's for free for you because. You can just get a friend's pass on Steam and we can play. So it's it's really cute, really fun. Um, but yeah, that's my get wrecked. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. I low-key, I get kind of stressed out when I play video games because I just feel very empathetically for the character. And like when their health goes down, I'm just like, I'm so sorry, I'm hurting you. But <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. When you play with me and we're facing a boss, and okay, what's cool about this is that like you can revive yourself if your partner is still alive. <gasps> nice. So there's no like game o- like it's only game over if both of you are dead at the same time. Uh huh. So like if your other person's alive, literally if I get downed or something, I just tell uh, my partner I'm like stay alive, stay alive, stay alive while I like press this button <laughs> to revive myself. <laughs> so yeah, and this it's also not graphic really at all either. Like death wise, you kind of just dissolve, kind of like yeah. the Avengers. So, oh my god, like you die. <laughs> That's amazing. So <clears throat> it's 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 pretty adorable, and you're a little you're a little doll, and so <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so yes. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Noelle, for that wreck, and thank you at home for coming along this amazing journey of Raya and the Last Dragon. Um, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, um, any like basically like any social media that's out there we're on it so um please also uh, make sure you share this podcast with your friends and remember be you be free and, and long ago in a distant land i aku shape-shifting master of darkness unleashed an unspeakable evil <laughs> the foolish Samurai warrior, wielding a magic sword, step forth to oppose me. Swing, swing, swing! Before the final blow is struck, I tore open a portal in time and flung him into the future, where my evil is law. 
Now the fool seeks to return to the past and undo the future that is our coup. That was not Raya, but uh, thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>